many of you were here last week. We had a visiting speaker, a guy called Brian Barr, uh, who was visiting from the States. Uh, and I was just really struck uh, as Brian spoke to us about one thing in particular. And one of the illustrations he used, and as I was kind of reflecting on last Sunday and praying about this week, uh, I just felt like I wanted to pick up on that illustration and pick up on one of the themes that Brian shared with us and just kind of lean into it a bit more together today. And so if you were here, you may remember, and if you won't, then I'm going to tell you. Brian used this illustration as he talked about our purpose in life and, and living life for the purpose which we were created. And he said, really, our purpose is to glorify God. And that's something we've talked about previously as a church community. But he said, he used this picture of three builders who kind of had varying perspectives on their purpose and understanding what they were doing. And, and they were all working on the same project, but you came to the first builder uh, and asked him what he's doing. And the guy just says, well, I'm just, I'm laying bricks. You think, okay. <laughs> he comes to the next one and he's like, well, what are you doing? I'm building a wall. And you get to the next one, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral. And the third one had, had understood this kind of big picture vision of what he was engaged in. For him, it wasn't just about I'm, I'm laying bricks or just I'm, I'm building this wall, but I'm invested in this great and glorious purpose of building a cathedral. And Brian talks about that in terms of the purpose of the whole of our lives, but he also spoke a bit specifically about understanding that and capturing that vision when it comes to the church. To see what's happening here, right now, as we worship together, as we open God's word together, as not just us kind of cobbling something together, but that we're invested in and part of something that is truly beautiful, something of eternal value, something of incredible worth. Now, we might at times be tempted to look around on Sundays, and you know, if you're here on setup or serving, you can think like, I'm just laying bricks, or I'm just pulling some stuff out of a container. Or we can look around and, and rather than seeing something grand and majestic, we look around and can sometimes be tempted to feel more like it's a bit of a dilapidated shed at times. We can see all the faults and flaws and the gaps in the walls and the cracks in the floor and more like a dilapidated shed than a cathedral perhaps. But I want to tell you today that this, this is majestic. When God's people gather, it's incredible, it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's miraculous in fact. <laughs> the church, both global and local, is the most majestic building project of all time. As God takes men and women like us, you and me, with all our faults and all our failings, all our weaknesses, our different backgrounds and all the things that might divide us, our different political opinions, our different socioeconomic standings. And he unites us in Christ. 
He unites us in the fact that we are those who have found hope and freedom and fullness of life in Jesus. And all those things that might divide us and push us apart pale into insignificance compared with that which unites us, the hope we have in Jesus. What unites us runs deeper than blood. Guys, look around. We're family. We're family because we're united in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. Just take a moment. This is beautiful. Don't believe me? Maybe some of you are a bit sceptical when I say that. Well, that's what I want to spend some time looking at this afternoon. You see, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus loves the church. And in so doing, he makes her lovely. And Christians are called to be like Jesus, (laughs) to love what he loves. And so if Jesus loves the church, then you and I should love the church. True Christianity is all about becoming more like Jesus, isn't it? It's one of our things here. It's like knowing him and growing like him. It doesn't all happen overnight. It's a journey. Sometimes we make big steps forward. Sometimes it feels like it takes years to make much progress at all. Sometimes you can be so head down in life that you don't even notice you have made any progress until someone else points it out to you. Growing to maturity, growing like Jesus, is a process for all of us that thankfully for us, God is committed to. I don't know if you realize that. God is committed to your progress in the Christian life. God is committed to your growth. He's committed to you becoming more like Jesus. And because God is committed to it, it's going to happen. We read in Philippians chapter 1 this. It says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, he's, he's committed to finish the work that he started you at the point you put your trust in him to save you. And he's going to keep doing that work in us until the day he returns. What is that work? got an answer it's not a rhetorical question have you what's that work yeah becoming more like him sanctifying us making us more and more into his likeness forming more and more of the likeness of christ in us mature christians love the church because christ loves the church But I also think when we understand what the church really is, then we grow in love for the church as well. Steve Van Rain in his book Growing Together says this. He says, revelation precedes affection. If you have little or no affection for the church, I don't know where you find yourself this afternoon. He says, if you have little or no affection for the church, it's because you're not seeing her beauty clearly. In other words, if you've really understood the significance of the church, 
the miracle that the church is, then you'll love the church. The church is God's plan A for the world. Now, when I say the church, I wonder what springs to mind for you. Not just this church, but the church. Many people might instantly think of the established church or buildings or organisations. They might think of the Church of England or the Catholic Church, maybe meetings. Maybe when you think of church or the church, you think of long, boring talks. Maybe you might think of weddings, funerals, big occasions. You might sadly think of scandal, abuse, deceit. The church, as we often think of it, or perceive it, seems quite hard to love, actually. The church, as it is often portrayed in the media, is very difficult to love, I think. You might hear me say, Jesus loves the church, and you might think, it's a good job he does, because no one else is going to. But that's not how it should be. So, so first up, we need to pick off some of our misconceptions about what the church is and isn't. See, the Bible has no concept of the church as a building or meetings. It's much more profound than that. It's people who are so inextricably connected to one another, so bound together that they can be likened to a body that where one part hurts, the rest feels it. And if you've noticed that about your body, like you stub your toe, like you can't just ignore it, like all of you knows about it. Your toe seems kind of insignificant until you stub it and then all of a sudden you realise when one part hurts... The whole part hurts. The church is pictured in scripture as a community of people who are committed to God and committed to one another. Who spend time together, eat together, do the dishes together, read the Bible and pray together. Who care for one another, invest in each other's lives, who help one another find strength and hope in Jesus. Who are committed to each other's growth, development and maturity. Now, lots of you will have heard this kind of thing before. You might have even said things yourself like this. You'll have said, like, oh, the the church isn't the building, it's the people. And we kind of, like, say it, like, yeah, we know that. Of course we do. (laughs) The church isn't just a meeting on a Sunday, it's the people. We know that, we know the answer. But I guess... The challenge is this, is that our behaviour reflects what we really believe. Okay? What we actually practice shows what we actually believe. So I guess I want to ask, does your life and the way you speak about church say that you believe it's a meeting or a series of meetings that you attend or don't attend based on your preference or what suits you? Or or does it reflect that the church is a family, a people who are on mission together, who are bound together, 
as disciples, as followers of Jesus. There's no way that God's design for the church was a small group of people doing ministry on a Sunday and a larger group of people coming to observe those people doing ministry on a Sunday. Like, and if that's our view of church or idea of what church is, then I want to say we've, we've totally missed the point. And, and there's no way that God's idea of mission was the people who were here enjoying the show or observing people doing ministry, inviting their friends to come and observe people doing ministry at a meeting once a week. God's design was never and still isn't that we get everyone to come to a meeting. And yet so often that's what we find ourselves doing. Now I don't want to downplay the importance of the church gathering to worship together. It's precious. It's powerful. We're commanded in scripture not to give up doing it. Not to to give up meeting together. But that's a function of the church. It's not the whole thing. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would attend services on Sundays. He came for our whole lives. To invite us into relationship with him. Every moment. Every day. And he commissions us to live those lives as salt and light. For the good of others and for his glory. Jesus' command wasn't invite people to a meeting. It was make disciples. Go into all the earth. Make disciples. Teach people to obey everything I've commanded. The church isn't a building or a meeting. It's a living, growing, thriving, global family where each person plays their part for the glory of God and the good of others. And if that isn't enough reason to love the church, and I think that's a pretty good reason to love the church, then here's some more. And we're going to work through these. The Bible tells us that the church is Jesus' body. Let's talk about what that means in a minute. The Bible tells us that the church is Jesus' building project. And the Bible tells us that the church is Jesus' bride. And I think they are all incredibly compelling reasons for us to love the church. The church is the body of Christ. The way he's chosen to reveal his glory on earth and in heaven. That's quite something. Ephesians 1, verse 23, we read this. God placed all things under his, that's Jesus, under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. Hopefully this should come up on the screen if you've got the slide there, guys. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. That says something about the church, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We read in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, this about the church as the body of Christ. Now you, 
Okay, this was written to a group of Christians and it applies to all believers. Now you, here in this room this afternoon, you are the body of Christ. And each of you is a part of it. That's staggering. Each one of you, if you're a Christian, is a part of the body of Christ. Inextricably connected and linked, bound together with every other Christian on the face of this planet. And Jesus so identifies with the church that he himself calls it his body. This wasn't just Paul kind of thinking of a nice way of illustrating unity in the church. Jesus says this. In Acts 9, when Saul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, Christ meets him. The resurrected Christ meets Paul and says, why are you persecuting me? We read this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters The synagogues in Damascus said if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul was headed to Damascus to persecute Christians, to round them up and cart them off to prison. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Jesus said to him. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus so identifies with his church that he says, Saul, when you are persecuting Christians, when you're rounding up Christians and taking them off to prison, you're doing it to me, to my body on the earth. It's amazing, isn't it? And and it's why when people say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. It's just so full of hypocrites and, oh, guys, if you can say that, you have no idea what the church really is as Christ understands it and as Christ communicates it. You can hate sin. And so does Jesus. You can see faults and long for restoration and healing to be brought. But it simply is impossible to love Jesus and hate the church. Because the church is the body of Christ. And it's also the way he's chosen to reveal his glory both on earth and in heaven. Did you know that? See, this is amazing. I love this. You read in Ephesians 3, 10 to 11, it says this. This is about the intent of God. It says this. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's it's like through the church, the wisdom of God would be made known in the heavenlies. Through the church, the glory of God would be made known. That's amazing, isn't it? 
Guys, through you and me. The glory and wisdom of God is, is being made known. So we, can, we can think sometimes, or maybe it's just me. I don't know. Like you tell me if it's just me. I'm, I'm happy to accept it if it is just me. But I think it's probably not. That I can be inclined to think sometimes, wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus walked the earth today? Like if Jesus was here walking around on the streets of Wokingham, healing people and doing all these things. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus was walking the streets of Wokingham, calling out oppression, declaring the kingdom was come, bringing hope to people. Just imagine the impact. (laughs) And I think then I'm reminded we're his body. (laughs) He said, as the father sent me, so I'm sending you. Full of the Spirit. We're His body. He's filled us with His Spirit and sent us to do what He did to make disciples, to make His glory and wisdom known. From the moment Jesus ascended to heaven till the moment He returns, how are people going to encounter God primarily? Now we get these amazing stories of Jesus just revealing Himself to people in dreams, but that's the exception, not the rule. For the vast, vast majority of people. How are people going to encounter God? From the moment Christ ascended to the moment he comes back. How? Through us. Through his people. Through his body. The church. It should follow that encountering Christians results in encountering Jesus. When we live the way Jesus lived. When we speak the message he spoke when we both demonstrate and declare love and hope and life and liberty to people just as Jesus did, then we help people to encounter him. The church is Jesus' body. Amazing. I think it's a compelling reason to love the church. In fact, I don't think we can love Jesus unless we love the church, when we understand that. The church is also Jesus' building project. This is an incredible truth. We find this time and time and time again in Scripture, but we, we can read in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said to his friend Peter, I will build my church. Do you know, when Jesus says he's going to do something, that's not ever going to change. If he says he's doing it, he's doing it. And he has a 100% success rate. He says, I will build my church And the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know, it's so good to know that Jesus is building his church. Now, of course, we have a part to play. He invites us to partner with him. Of course, we want to see the church grow. I don't know about you, but I look around and someone said to me last week about the fireworks event. They were like... So amazing having so many people here. And we were just saying afterwards, like, wouldn't it be great if all these people were part of the church? And I looked at them and I went, yeah, like, that's the plan. (laughs) That's what we're praying for. That's what we're longing for. 
that those people would, would move from that place of being happy to attend a social event to, to come to find out more about Christ, to, to come and find hope and life and freedom in him. We, we, we want it. But do we believe that we can grow the church? Do we believe that we can make anyone a Christian? No, we can't. We can't do it. It's his building project. It's his work ultimately. Only God and God alone can take someone and move them from death to life. Only he and he alone can remove a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that beats for him. And so we ask him to go on building. He simply asks us to follow him and to encourage others to do the same. To keep pointing others to the hope that we have in him. He builds his church. Ultimately, we don't. It's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to preach the word. To keep pointing people to Christ. Both in word and action. To help them see him as the solution. To help him see them as Lord and Saviour. But we've got to remember that he's the one who builds. Paul, the early Christian leader, the man we read about earlier who used to be called Saul, who encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He said this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 to 8. He said, I planted the seed. He's talking about this church and how it came into being, this local church community. He said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. Just the context for this, the, the church there are starting to argue. Like some of them are going, I'm for Paul. Like he's the guy, he's the leader we're looking to. And others are going, we're for Apollos. And Paul goes, and you've all missed the point. You should be for Jesus because it's his church. And he says this, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. But you are God's field, God's building. Jesus is building his church. We've got a part to play. Paul and Apollos played their part. Each of you has a part to play in Foundation Church, in the global church, in the church being healthy and growing and bearing fruit. <laughs> but it's his building project. Paul's like, I shared the good news of Jesus with you. Apollos kept pointing you to Christ through teaching and investment in you. But God caused you to come alive in him. And God caused you to grow your God's building project. His work. Now, I find this really challenging personally. i just I'll be honest with you. Because when things are really tough, I like this truth. <laughs> like when things seem to be going wrong, I love this truth. I'm like, oh, it's hard, but Jesus is building his church. But when the church is growing and things are good, I find this truth harder. Because I like to think I've had something to do with it. I, yeah. 
the fact that God's, the fact that the church is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and not the result of a person's effort or idea, is remarkable. And when we actually grasp that and allow it to sink in, it has a huge impact on our lives. When we understand that it's God's work and not ours, it changes our perspective. Because when things are tough, it becomes a source of great comfort. Thank you, Jesus. You're building your church. Even though things are hard, even though opposition comes, even though... It feels hard going. You're building your church. An incredible source of comfort because he said he'll do it and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Jesus will succeed. And when things are good, it brings us to maturity as it confronts our pride and humbles us, reminds us that it's not because of us, but because of him. Keeps us looking to him thanking him, worshipping him. This is a great truth. The church is God's building project. But I don't know if you've noticed this, though. Building sites can be messy places. A church leader, a guy called Tony Morton, wrote about it like this. He says, have you ever lived in a building site? We once extended our house, and the noise was Unbelievable. The dust was everywhere. The mud was walked through the house on wet days. Although a most inconvenient place, altogether, sorry, a most inconvenient place to live. But it was worth it. Because we had a vision for the end product. And the church is like that. So often it looks a mess. And it is a mess. But God has chosen to live in it while he builds it and extends it. He's prepared for the inconvenience. Are you? Hmm. Challenging. See, make no mistake. God is building his church, and it is magnificent. We're invited to play our part. Each one of you has a part to play. Use the gifts that he's given you to serve others, to help See this church built and established for God's glory. To give out of what he's given to us. For the good of others and for his glory. And we might not see it yet. Amidst the dust and the chaos. The, the frustrations. The mud trodden through. The bits of walls missing. But we can see glimmers of beauty everywhere when we actually look. And what's more, the Bible gives us the end of the story. What the finished article looks like. What we're called into and part of. Where this all ends. So the church is God's body. Or Jesus' body. It's a compelling reason to love the church. It's Jesus' building project. I think it's a compelling reason to love the church. But we also read this in scripture, that the church is Jesus' bride. And she's stunning. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, we find an account of the end of the world. 
the wrapping up of all time, of all that we see and know around us, and the beginning of a new creation, new heavens and a new earth. And in this wrapping up, Jesus returns to claim his people, the church, his bride. And we read about it in Revelation 19. We read this. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. At the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. The wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her to wear. What is this bride like? We read in Revelation 7, she's a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and every language. God's people from throughout history, around the world, together are the bride of Christ. And they are beautiful. Human history climaxes not with a coronation or graduation. Human history doesn't climax in us like getting a certificate like, well done, you did it. <laughs> like human history doesn't climax with, with any other thing other than the picture we're given in Revelation is with a wedding. Jesus marrying his bride, being joined in covenant relationships. Commitment forever. It's the high point of human history. The high point of all history. By calling the church his bride. And by choosing a wedding to usher in the new eternal age. Jesus communicates unmatched affection for the church. This is the picture of Love, in its truest, purest form, as it should be. If we grasp the enormity of this event and what it says about the importance of the church to Jesus, it would have a transforming effect on the way we view the church, I think. We read this in Ephesians 5 about Jesus' love for the church. It's actually part of Paul's instructions to husbands about how they should love their wives. But he helps us to understand it by talking about how Jesus loves the church as his bride. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To what end? Making her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Christ is the ultimate husband. He sees in the midst of our mess and insecurities his image and he loves us as his people, as his bride. And he works in us by his spirit 
through all the circumstances of life, to, to call out and draw out the beauty of his image in us. So that one day the church would be presented as a spotless bride. You can establish how valuable something is to someone by how much they're willing to pay for it. And if you've observed that, there's a pretty quick, easy way to know how valuable something is to someone. The lengths they're prepared to go to, to, to attain it or to get it, how much they're prepared to pay for it. Ephesians 5, where we just read, we read that Jesus gave himself up for his people, for his bride, for the church. Literally gave his life completely for his people. In Acts 20, 28, Paul charges the elders of the church to be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought by his own blood. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. He paid the ultimate price for the church. He shed his blood. Has any greater price ever been paid? No. This wasn't just anyone's life. All life is incredibly precious, but this was the life of Christ. The perfect life of Emmanuel, God with us. If the church is valuable to Jesus, shouldn't it also be valuable to us? The church is important to Jesus, this important to Jesus? Wouldn't it be a huge mistake for us to be indifferent towards it? Even at times hostile and critical of it? Guys, I want to encourage you. Let's love the church. I don't just mean foundation church. I mean the church globally. God's people. Let's love the church, not in a, a flimsy, emotional way, not in like a fluffy, feel-good feelings way. Not in a way that just means we gloss over or excuse and bury sin and hurt caused by people. But in a way that means we join Jesus in longing for the purity of the church. That we join Jesus in longing and laboring for the beauty of the church to be made known. That we join Jesus in, in longing for and laboring for his bride to be made pure, holy, spotless, radiant. In such a way that means we call out sin and seek to lovingly restore people. Let's see the church for who she really is. The bride of Christ who he's coming back to claim. And as we do, let's commit to a local church. Whether that's here or elsewhere, you've got to decide. But I do want to say, don't dither between churches. Don't dip in and out depending on what and when you feel like it and what suits you depending on the day of the week. Don't pick a mix. Commit to a local church community. The global church is beautiful. I hope you've got some more appreciation of that as we've seen what God's word has to say about the church. But our part in the global is worked out day to day in a local, accountable community 
where the Bible's taught and disciples are made, where people care for one another enough to get alongside one another in the stuff of life, in the highs and the lows, to, to love one another, to keep pointing each other to Christ, to keep reminding one another of the hope of the gospel, to find a church that you can commit to like that. Maybe that's here, maybe that's elsewhere. That's okay. But make sure it's somewhere. Don't drift disconnected. I'm going to pray for us as we conclude and then we're going to share communion together before we finish this afternoon.